Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Ali Brassel. And I'm David Carlich. On this edition, is this the now or never year for PSG or for the world's greatest footballer? Also, how many chances does Leipzig need before it allows its Champions League opportunity to slip away? And how did Portugal's transfer kings lose their crown? So, what a match it was earlier this week. PSG uh, versus Real Sociedad. Uh, a cracker of a match, David? Um, yeah, it was interesting. I think it, it was. It was a really interesting game, especially in the sense that it wasn't all one way. Um, it was a match of two halves. Yeah, it was your classic game of two halves. Um, first half, Real Sociedad dominated the ball, pinned PSG back. I think PSG were a little bit passive. And Real Sociedad had some really good chances. Um, I thought Kubo was brilliant yet again, a little Japanese winger um, who's going to get a lot of interest this summer, I imagine. So Real Sociedad were really impressive. Um, but we saw the night before, and we'll, we'll get on to Leipzig versus Real Madrid, that if these smaller clubs don't take their chances against the, the big teams mm. on paper, they will get punished in the Champions League at this level. And there we had it, second half, PSG come out. Um, they looked more like a Luis Enrique team in the second half. I never understand that sometimes when Lucho goes for a, a more passive sit-back system. And it's tempting to always do that, especially when you look at the you know uh, the counter-attack player that PSG have. They've scored the most counter-attacking goals in, in Liga on this season. Of course, they, they they like to play like that. But I always think that when you're Lucho, you should be 
aggressive. You should be, you know, not this passive persona that they went for. Uh, it's like in the first half, their midfield was as redundant as a Wimbledon or a Watford or a Sheffield Wednesday Ouch. midfield in the in the late eighties. <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's just however good those players are. The way they're playing doesn't allow yep. them to get involved, does they, it? They weren't chasing, they weren't hustling. And then in the second half, they were. They were far more aggressive. Um, they said, right, we're going to get our foot in the ball this time. We're not going to sit back. We're not going to allow us to be you know, dictated to. Um, and how, how do we know that that wasn't the plan? What, the sort of rope-a-dope tactic? Yes. I, I suppose you could argue that, couldn't yeah. you? Because I remember I was, I was on um, Australian TV last night and Craig Foster was predicting before the start he's like Real Sociedad are going to press them to death and they're just going to PSG are going to look to play exclusively on the break Mm. and you look at the first five ten minutes of that game that's exactly what happened but I think if you're the coach if you're Luis Enrique how can it be that everyone can see the way it's going to unfold and the difficulties you're going to have and you just left leave it to happen because one of the big switches in the second half is where um, Danilo goes off and Lucas Beraldo goes to centre-back and then you've got Luca Hernandez coming in. And that makes a big difference because Kubo going at Beraldo, who is just getting used to the European game. And he is, really is, he even, rough... is he even really a left-back? You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't look like one. You could see from the start that everyone's going on him. And the thing yeah. is, PSG knew it was going to happen as well. They knew that Take was going to be having a go at Beraldo because every time Take got the ball, they send across Danilo to help or they send across Fabian Ruiz to help. So if you know it's going to happen, why do you let it happen? And of course, once they sort that out, one, it means Take's in the game less. Two, it means Fabian Ruiz, who is great in the second half. Now, I would, I would have dragged him off at half-time, honestly, if I was Luis Enrique. But... He was brilliant in the second half. And you can talk about the players who made a difference for PSG in that second half, like Mbappe with a goal, like um, Barcola managing stretch. Usman Dembele, I thought, was great throughout, but maybe we can come and talk about him in a minute. But Fabian Ruiz made a massive difference in that second half because in the first half, the only player who could help PSG get the ball up the pitch was Dembele. Mm-hmm. And that happens far too often yep. with them. They're, they're, they're more reliant on Dembele than the numbers would suggest. They've been guilty of it in the Champions League the past few years. I think the centre midfield in terms of progressing the ball. It's always, they've always, in a big game, they put out this very flat, cautious midfield. Mm. And it goes back to where I was saying, in that they should always be a little bit more aggressive. I think with the players that they've got, I think they can be. Um, But these counter-attacking stats that they have are are very, very impressive. So obviously, you're going to lean towards that. Luis Enrique is going to go, oh, we'll play counter-attacking. I just think they should, I don't know, just be a bit more aggressive on the ball. Um, and, and, and feel they can dominate games with possession. Obviously, the question that this begs is whether this season's PSG is the real deal, Holyfield. Sorry for the other football analogy there. Whether they're going to do something in this uh, Champions League year or whether it's perhaps more the real deal for one of their most talented players. I, I guess that's that's the thing because of Mbappe and his future being the ghost at the feast. It does add a sense of it's this year or not ever. Now, yeah. I'm not really sure if that's that's fair because it does seem as if they're a, a, a team in development. And I think you get that unevenness of performance when you are a team in development. And that's what they are. They're, they're not the real deal, at least not yet. They have moments where they're good enough to take on the best. But 
I think that first half, they, they would have been punished by a, by a better team or a more informed team, I think it's probably more fair to say. Yeah. Because you look at Real Sociedad coming into this game, four games without a win, four games without a goal. And you can see why. Because they've got the strikers in that squad. I'm looking really at Andre Silva and Omar Sadiq, who should be able to score them the goals to reward their play. But for one reason or another, injuries, form, etc., they're not at the moment. Without Oyatharbal, they just do not look like scoring. I was about to say he was he was a big absence last night. And you look at Andre Silva last night, I thought he played a lot of the game with his back to the goal. Um, especially, and that's not really where you want him. Um, you want him just poaching and, and mm. independent area. And he's all the players really good, don't get me wrong. Um, but you do want to kind of like a unleash him like that. Um, but to go back to your question, no, I don't think this is PSG's year. Uh, they're not. The, they're not the real deal yet. Whether they will be, I don't know. But no, I don't think it's there. What do they need at the moment to real be to be a contender for the title? Well, I think for starters, to know what your best team is. Mm. I, I think that's a that's a big start because I think the adjustments made a big difference and suggested did you pick the right team in the, in the first place? Mm. I think really they, they talked in the in the in the French media about the build-up to this being the perfect build-up because um, they beat, beat Lille 3-1 at the weekend. Of course, they're very comfortable in Ligue 1, and they did it whilst resting a load of players. Now, as we talked about last week, um, Mbappe escaped serious injury by Whisker in that cup tie with Brest, and so just to be on the safe side, they left him out at the weekend. Fine. And there's a big difference between the team that played at the weekend against Lille and the team that played this week against Real Sociedad, like six differences in the starting lineup. I know about you, I felt the team that played against Lille was far more coherent. Like, like it, even though it had the reserves in inverted commas in it, um, I, I thought it was, it, it was great. It, they were really, really good at the weekend. They swept Lille aside and they made Lille look rubbish and they're, they're one of the better sides in, in, in Ligue 1. And, and so, I mean, if it was anything other than PSG where status matters as well as standards. I, th- I think you would come out of that game against Lille and think, you know, there are a couple of players who might have won themselves a place there. In the end, I don't think there were. I think it was almost irrelevant. I think he forgot about that game the minute it had finished Luis Enrique. What do you make of that quote from him? Um, when he says, if you told me half time that we'd win 2-0, I'd be dancing for two hours. Fair. Do you think fair? so? Yeah, yeah, very fair. Uh, because I, I feel... As if, if you're a coach on that level, you will know how the transition works and how the second half um, can be readdressed, as it were. But don't you think? And, don't you think there's an honesty there in that he's actually said it wasn't a plan? That's the bit where you yeah. find out it wasn't the rope a dope, because he says, "Yeah, actually, the first half didn't go great, did it?" You know, and he's admitting there that he really adjusted on the fly. Now, the other way round of looking at that is they were so dominant in the second half, particularly after the um, Mbappe opened the scoring, that I think if you're Imanol, you're probably looking at that thinking, oh, we got away with 2-0 there. Yeah, I think so. And look, they're going to be looking at it going back for the second leg. I think Real Sociedad are going to give it a really, really good go. That's that, that's going to be an intense game. And I think, you know, how, handle, how PSG handle that first 20, 25 minutes, because I think they're going to be under siege. Because um, the atmosphere there's changed. It's redeveloped the ground as well. The atmosphere has changed. And also, and this goes back to why I don't think PSG will win the competition, is I just still think they've got a demeanour in this competition that 
isn't particularly convincing and, and, and dominant on the level of a, a city of a Real Madrid. They haven't really got that aura about them in the Champions League still. And they kind of needed that break as well, didn't they? Because you had Amari Traore going off. Yeah. Um, like Mbappe asked him what was wrong with him, didn't he? He thought he was faking it. And then he went off for that corner. Yeah. PSG score from the corner when they've only got 10 men on the pitch. And Imanol, the coach, went nuts after that yeah. after, afterwards he, he he said look if you're not going to the hospital why are you off the pitch yeah, yeah, that was, <laughs> when, you, when, you, when your team's defended a corner was, that was Bazan and little Kubo was the one uh, left, left taking his slot of marking um, and but, then in the second goal against, against uh, with Barkoller as well exactly Ah, he's, it was really really strange from Tirore because he usually goes in a bit more stronger and there was just a little bit of hesitancy because it was a fir- it was a bad first touch by Barkoller as well do, do you think the bad first touch is why he doesn't make the yeah, challenge. Yeah, potentially in, that's a shout. In, in, that's in a the shout. end, because I think if if someone makes a a bad touch as a defender, you think I can get that, and that's often when you end up making quite a bad tackle, isn't it? Yeah, but 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 and then Barkler uh, recovered really really well. I think I mean, to bring he, the ball into him. He was he was great actually, Barkler, and actually I don't know if Bradley Barkler is doing Real Madrid a little bit of a favour because his presence and the fact that he's really picking up form in recent months means that slotting Kylian Mbappe into the centre-forward spot where we have to assume he's going to play for Real Madrid should he end up there, etc., etc., etc. I mean, it works really well for Real Madrid if Mbappe has been playing centre-forward for the last six months before he arrives there. There's less of a period of a, a, a adjustment. They're not to say they're the, they're the same player, but I've, I've heard people comparing... Barkala to Vinicius, and in terms of the way yeah, they, they uh, I'm not having that. No. I know it's nice, no. right? <laughs> it's good if it's good if, it's good if it's good if you're Barkala. Obviously, he's really in development. He's only really been playing first team football for for a year, and that's it. But I think in terms of using your, there, there are a lot of differences about them, and clearly Vinicius is one of the absolute best players in the world. Mm-hmm. But in terms of their ability to really stretch defenders by using the width of the pitch. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's there's something there. But you're not having it, David. I'm not having the Vinny comparison. Why not? Why not? I just think they're entirely different players. <laughs> I don't think they could be further removed. They, okay, they they both play a, a wide role, a wide berth, but I think that's wide where... Wide left as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where the similarities stop, just because they play in the same position. I think they're entirely different players when it comes to skill sets. On Barkler... Um, I always got the feeling he just needs to be a bit more arrogant. I, I always think he seems a little bit timid and I think when he does find that confidence, which will come in time, and like you say, mm. he hasn't really played that a lot of football, that will take him to the next level. But, but I still see him now just really timid. But don't don't you think that's a reflection of, of, of where he's been? Mm. Because if you think he comes into the team um, at Lyon last January, really, and second half of the season, he creates... I think seven league on goals for Lacazette. I mean, that's pretty amazing yeah. to provide that many assists for the same player. But it's because everything at Lyon rolls around Lacazette. Then you get to PSG where everything rolls around their main striker. So his job is, he costs 50 million and people are saying, well, all right, show us your 50 million skills. Mm. But actually, he's there as a subordinate, not as a lead actor. Well... He might be laid up next season. <laughs> well, yeah, it, maybe he needs to be because looking at this stat here, uh, this is the first time that PSG has scored more than one goal 
in a Champions League knockout game since 2021. That's shocking, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I guess it is. But it also reflects on a couple of things. A, that whichever way you look at it, they have had an easier draw than they've had in the the, the last couple of years. Yeah, this time around. Yeah, because they're not facing Bayern or, or, or Real Madrid. So that's no knock on, on Real Sociedad. I think the other thing is they haven't had like Neymar getting injured like 10 days before they've gone into the knockouts. And so for a minute, it looked as if that PSG curse was still there. As I said, when you had that uh, Lilian Brassier challenge um, in, in the PSG breast cut match, I think everyone's hearts were in their mouths and thinking that oh, it's happening again for PSG. But the fact that Mbappe has escaped that, I think has, has, has made a massive difference as well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. David, what kind of a week has Real Madrid had? A really good week, um, I think. Uh, this was a potential banana skin, and they avoided it. And don't get me wrong, it was uh, it was testing at times for them. They rode their luck. Some would say they really rode their luck, given <laughs> uh, the disallowed goal. This is against Leipzig. Yeah, this is against Leipzig. Um uh, so, yeah, I think they handled well. When you look at the number of injuries that they had, you look at that makeshift back line, um, you roll everything into one. It's It's been a really, really good week for them. I mean, that would have completely changed the game if that set, yeah. Cesco goal is, is is allowed. Yeah, that would have really been interesting to see how they, you know, they gathered themselves, how they approached it. Um, but, look, I've seen this Real Madrid performance thousands and thousands and thousands of times in the Champions League and La Liga as well. Um they maybe play within themselves. They ride their luck in the first half, and then they come out and they just get it done, like like the really great teams do. Um, 
and it doesn't matter who is there. I don't know. I just still think, especially in this particular time when Real Madrid do have that aura about them, that they can get it over the line. They just get it done. And they're massively stretched on a personnel level, yeah. aren't they? I mean, obviously everyone's looking at Brian Diaz because he scores the goal. Brilliant goal it is as well. Out of nothing. They were really yeah. up against it as well, you know? And and this is what I mean. They just get it done. Somebody steps up. And they've had trouble in the past in, in terms of players getting chances due to injuries or due to them resting maybe Cruz and Modric. And they just don't step up. They don't deliver the young players. But now they seem to be all stepping up and delivering, whether it be Brahim, whether it be Chouameni, uh, Valverde as well. You know that they all step up. But Brahim's form has been good enough to get into most teams. Like He's been really good since he's Excellent, come back yeah. to, to Real Madrid. But it's quite difficult with the role that Bellingham's had this season to fit them both in the same team. Mm-hmm. So it takes Bellingham being injured for him to get the start. Now, of course, they're not the same player, but they're playing a similar role in this. And that's why he gets in that position to to score the goal. He's got the imagination to make it happen from from nothing, as, as, as David was saying. And then, in the most this season Real Madrid thing ever, he pulls his hamstring. <laughs> I mean, it's, they cannot catch a break at the moment. But on the other hand, if we're talking about a team that's in at least some sort of transitional period, and of course that's never an excuse for not challenging and not winning stuff when you're at Real Madrid, and they're managing to continue to be in the, the mix for all the major competitions while they've got so many injuries and while they're in this transitional period. We are finding out stuff about those players that we didn't know. So we found out a lot about Jude Bellingham this season. We found out that he can be a consistent goal scorer, which we didn't know before. We knew he could contribute some goals. We didn't know he could manage a 20 or God knows how many it'll be by the end of it. 30 goal season, whatever. We didn't know he could do that. And we didn't know Aurelien Chouameni could play at centre-back. And since he's been in there, clean sheet, clean sheet, clean sheet. He looks a natural. He looked like Sergio Ramos at times. That's what he looked like. Um, some brilliant covering, some brilliant sliding tackles, excellent reading of the game, very um, aggressive, decisive in his decision-making as well. He can just play anywhere. Um, quite a remarkable player that he's become under Ancelotti. Um, perhaps not intentionally, given these injuries. Again, that goes back to what I'm saying. He has stepped up um, and, and the young players continue to do for Real Madrid. And I mean, credit to Ancelotti. It's obviously his faith, his guidance that is, is helping these players. It's why Real Madrid was so keen to keep him around. You've got to remember people saying, oh, maybe it's time for that change. Maybe it's time for the, you know, the next coach to come in, what have you. I think when you look at the average age of that squad, um, Ancelotti is the perfect person to to keep guiding it, and it's continuously showing. But it does it does suggest like a coach who's genuinely great at developing players, doesn't it? Which is something that people have doubted about Ancelotti in the past. I mean, I think he resists all definition. Uh, yeah, he resists all definition, and he resists all um, efforts to typecast him as well because he changes and changes and changes. Unlike a lot of great coaches, he's got this chameleon quality to him. But I think when you look at him developing these these young players, I mean, you have um, that midfield three that we talked about when Bellingham arrived of Chouameni, Camavinga and Bellingham. And I think we all have said at some point, if they keep that midfield three together for the next 10 years and they don't get any injuries, Real Madrid are going to dominate European football. What we didn't see is that 
Ancelotti has helped to unlock parts of them that maybe even they didn't know were there. Now, Camavinga has always been completely uncomplaining. You can play him defensive midfield. You can play him left of a three. You can play him in a little bit more of an advanced eight position. Then you've got Bellingham and what we talked about before, unlocking that part of him that maybe even he didn't know was there. And now you've got Chiumeni playing defensive midfielder or playing centre-back. There's a lot of versatility there. Yeah. And Fede Valverde is the same as well. You can, yeah. play, you can play him off the right, high up even, or mm. you can play him as somebody who protects your full-back. But then again, he can play defensive midfield, centre midfield, attacking midfield. And this versatility that they have, that has grown within them, again, is just another impressive asset. It's, it's a much less sexy version of total football. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. Of course, that result against Girona, top of the league in La Liga. Yeah. uh, For Real Madrid, they didn't grind that result out, did they? They, 4-0. No, they they made it look easy. Um, Leipzig definitely gave them more problems, um, which is perhaps something you didn't see coming, uh, given how incredible uh, Girona have been and how incredible their story has been in general. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it was... (laughs) Brilliant, like I said, a brilliant week. I mean, I know that another injury, okay, but um, you just have to look at how everything has been managed um, accordingly. This could have been a week, perhaps, where they slipped up, where the injuries get on top of them, um, but they haven't allowed it. And and also should be said as well, we're talking about the young players being managed correctly. We've got to talk about the older players as well. If you look mm-hmm. at that game against Leipzig as well, um, Nacho, Danny Carvajal, and it's there's a good argument there that this might be Tony Cruz's best season since mm. he since he joined Real Madrid. Well, they're from the Leipzig perspective, they must be thinking, here we go again. You know, we've got the last 16 blues, as it were. Well, yeah. I guess the difference is, like when we were talking about the difference, or David was talking about the difference there between Girona and, and Leipzig, Girona have had a season far beyond expectation and they, they like could not do any more, despite losing that game. I mean, they've, they've been really unlucky in that they've played Real Madrid on two of their best days of the season when they have played Real Madrid, haven't they? With yep. the, the 3-0 at Montalivi and, and, and then this 4-0. Whereas Leipzig, there's an enormous amount of talent there and there's a, a much higher ceiling. Like Girona could not do any more than they're doing at the moment. Leipzig could do more. But... I'm not sure they could have done much more in this particular game. They played as well as you could reasonably expect to play against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Okay, they didn't have the rub with that Sheshko goal. Um, he created a lot of problems for he them. He was phenomenal. He he was really phenomenal. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I noticed he was getting a bit of stick um, after it. A lot of people saying, oh, he's he's not what we thought he was. Oh, definitely, you know, he's not going to be like an elite striker. It's like, come on. This is like one game. And if it's you, first season at really a proper level, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And if you look at his entire, if you look at his whole game against Real Madrid, those chances were through him. So I don't mean it was him who was missing the chances and he was there on the end of them. He's making his own shot. His movement, his running was outstanding. He's got incredible power running, um, is what I like to call it. The way that he drives into different positions and pulls people apart is extremely impressive. It's not too similar to what um, I think... Rasmus Hoyland's doing it, Man United as well. They are, there's a lot of similarities I see between those two in, in terms of their movement and awareness around the penalty area and how they link up with midfield and how they realise that their role means, you know, bringing midfield into the game or what have you. It's mm. not just about poaching. So I was really impressed with Cesco, regardless uh, of not finishing chances. And he learned from that as well. And I also like, he just kept getting his head up. He kept going again. He didn't just saunter around feeling sorry for himself he got himself up and went for the next chance and he was there for the next chance and he was there for the next chance and I think that's a great asset to have in a 
centre forward, a young centre forward. And so Leipzig, what do they have to do to get further in this Champions League then? It's going to be hard um, at the point they are at the moment. But I, I think Real Madrid are quite a, a good example for them to look at in terms of continuous development because they've had a rough start to 2024 Leipzig and I saw them right at the start of the season in um, the Super Cup against Bayern and it was funny because of course Bayern were just blooding Harry Kane he made his debut mm. as, as substitute in, in, in that game back in August and Leipzig despite really being gutted of their four best players last summer a clear out that they weren't aiming to have they've they've had to have a sort of mini revolution but they looked so coherent they looked so together from that super cup game but i guess it is set an unreasonable expectation because they were that they were so good in that and yet they're they're still pulling together what they actually are so you've got shesko as david is saying who's in recent weeks been much more consistent and been really good for them. Lois Appender has already been brilliant since they signed him. And, you know, there's no doubt in Germany of how good he is. They are still learning to play together, those two, and working out who's the main man or if indeed there is a main man. And then you've got Xavi Simons. Now, I think it's easy to think with Xavi that at the start of this season, for the first couple of months, he looked like the best player in the Bundesliga. He was extraordinary. Now, as this team develops and as they hit this sort of rough patches as, as well, and as Bundesliga defenders start to get aware of him and want to get after him, he's got, a, now that you've got this burgeoning strike partnership ahead of him, not everything ends with him doing the perfect action. And that is a way in which he has to change his game a little bit. So look, he's, he's still a great player. He's still one of the players in the Bundesliga this season. But of course, as Leipzig are developing, what they're doing now is more what I expected from them at the start of the season. You know, battling for a Champions League place because, you know, the core of the team has, has completely changed. But because they gave us such a brilliant first impression, I think it's normal to feel a bit of disappointment now. They do have the quality to go and make it difficult for Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But it's just, we've talked, I guess, quite a lot in this episode about consistency. And that consistency sort of comes through familiarity, doesn't it? But you were saying earlier on that they've got a lot more that they should be or reaching for. They've got a lot. Yeah, and it's it's going to take time. Whether they've got the patience there, because you look at how trigger happy they've been with coaches before despite the fact that they have this sort of quite holistic player development model you know they've they've always brought in young players rather than experienced ones and 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 worked on them and but if you're Marco Rosa he was born in Leipzig he's come through a Red Bull sort of coaching background and he's been there and, and done a really good job but when they lost their third successive Bundesliga game to start this calendar year he said, look, I'm under no illusions. I, I know what it means if you don't get results here. And whether he lasts the season, I think is really dependent on what happens over the next couple of weeks. It's almost an unenviable job in a way because, mm. you know, we know things in the summer are going to change again. Yeah. They're going to lose another three players or four players or, or whatever it may be. Um, but it's quite, it's to their credit as a team in the past few years that there is now pressure there. 
Because I remember we used to discuss Leipzig and the general Red Bull system as having no pressure on it mm. in terms of it, the job, the remit is to develop players in this holistic manner that you said. Mm. Um, but now there is pressure there. It's like, oh, we're a good side. We can win things. We should be aiming to win things. We're not just developing players for a, a club, an elite club to come in and buy for 60, 70 million. But how, how much of that do you think is about Bayern's current vulnerability? Because Bayern's vulnerability yes okay because i think it creates a pressure that maybe wasn't there you look at Bayern and you think they're there to be got at so why haven't we got our shit together to to go after them and it's funny it's, a, it's an argument that's been thrown at psg and league one and the teams around them as well yeah they, they've said oh like, look psg are on a bit of a downturn here why is no one capitalizing on this and then it's kind of like well because they're all a mess. Well, it hasn't been a brilliant week for the Bundesliga and the Champions League, I think it's fair to say. We've talked about Leipzig. What about Bayern? Um, and vulnerability. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, against Lazio. What a great victory for Lazio, it has to be said, in yeah. any case. Before we start uh, talking about the defeat, um, how on earth did Lazio beat uh, Bayern? Because Bayern should have been through that one quite comfortably, I'd have thought. Yeah, and they, they were kind of dominant in the first half without really creating that much. And there, there, there was a there was a lot of reaction to what happened in Leverkusen at the weekend, where they weren't just beaten comprehensively on paper. They were absolutely hammered in reality. Mm. Uh, and they, they were terrible. And, you know, they went back to their sensible shape. They moved away from the three at the back that they used at Leverkusen, which was a crazy idea, by the by the way. I, I, I don't know what Thomas Tuchel was thinking of. Well, I do know what he's thinking of. He was trying to match up Leverkusen. It was a bad idea. Um, so they also bring the more experienced players back. So Muller comes back. Kimmich comes back. And that makes a, a, a big difference to, to them. But it was still a little bit... It, it was almost facsimile Bayern. You know, there were there were little bits of of real Bayern, like they wanted to try and be aggressive. They wanted to try and dominate Lazio, but Lazio, you have to give it to them, are a very good defensive side under Maurizio Sarri, which frustrated Bayern big time in this. But they just didn't create enough, and you, when you don't create enough, they didn't get a single shot on target, by the way, and after, which is remarkable given their attack and talent. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they had one one shot. Technically, they had one shot on target at, at the weekend uh, at Leverkusen, but really it was it was a back pass from uh, Masrawi to to Hrudetsky. <laughs> and you you look at that, you're always going to leave yourself vulnerable to that minute, that that crazy minute where Pumacano makes tackle on Isaacson, gives away the penalty, gets sent off. And that is the bit where the game's folded. But after that, they huffed and puffed. But Lazio looked relatively comfortable defending it, is it fair to say? I thought so. I didn't, you know, Lazio didn't have to do anything special. Um, they mm. did what they've been doing all season under Maurizio Sarri. Um, they ran a hell of a lot. Um, they covered so much ground. Again, things that you would expect from a Sadri side. Um, I'm never going to put you in charge of their ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, Bayern never really never really broke the door down. Lazio mm. weren't really up against it at any point. Yes, Bayern had a little ball um, and what have you, but no, I, I agree, Lazio look comfortable. We've talked a lot this season about how Leroy Zane has been inspired by Harry Kane and it's, it's mm. really improved him and brought him to his best form. Are we seeing at the moment why 
Zane has the ability to be one of the best players in the world, but isn't one of the best players he, in the world. He was he was very disappointed on the night. He always leaves me cold. And again, it's the sort of game, some sort of situation that you'd want Leroy Sané to step up like Brahim did against Leipzig, for instance. Yeah. You just want Sané to get the ball in that wide berth and really drive at somebody and cause... But I don't know, a, a winger should always strike fear into a into a fullback's heart, and mm. he just doesn't do that. If I'm a fullback facing him, yes, he's pierce and what have you like that. But he never really seems to be enthused by the prospect of you know of driving his team on. Is is this maybe why, in terms of Leroy Sané, just a quick word on him? Is this maybe why he is that idiosyncratic player that it's very difficult to find where he's going to fit whichever team? He plays it. Maybe. I, I mean, really, Bayern should be the perfect fit for him because, you know, ever since the days of Robin and Ribery, it's a culture that leans really heavily yeah, on, 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 on on attacking wingers. Yeah. And, you know, if you think that Zane and Coman, for example, ability-wise, should be able to, to come and match that. And especially there's, there's room for Jamal Musiala to play inside. But because Coman's got the injury record that he has, and because Zane is you know, still not as consistent as he as he, as he might be, although globally I think he's been very good this this but he's, season. He's twenty eight years old, yeah. and Coleman's twenty seven. We're, we're not talking about nineteen year old wingers here, and they're, pay, they're paying him an absolute fortune as this, well. This is my problem. He should be delivering more end product on a regular basis. Now we're not talking about some mm. kid. He's had a lot of experience. He's been around. He's had time at Man City as well he's been at Bayern long enough as well he's been under a lot of different coaches has he ever really delivered on a consistent basis that you'd call him he's not even a world he's definitely nowhere near world class but a very good player he's just a good player but that's that's why as well that's why Musial is on the wing yeah. when he should probably be inside absolutely ready to eventually take over from Thomas Muller to, because really you look at the, the players who can really create a moment of magic that can really open up a team there. Mm. There's not a lot of them. Musiala is probably the best of those and he's still really young. I'm so glad that I tweaked the passion out of David. I knew it was there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to the transfer kings of Portugal? Arguably the transfer kings of Europe. Oh dear. As in at Porto. You know, once upon a time, you could have relied on them to be making money in the transfer window, but no more, apparently. Does it count as making money if you no longer have to pay a player because he's out of contract? I guess that is the small print I would bring back to you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I think when, when we're thinking about this, I guess we've got it in mind because this week, um, Medi Taremi, uh, their centre forward, is, is getting set to sign for Inter. Um, they... Postponed. On a freebie. Yeah, he's out of contract in the summer. Ooh. Now they've they've postponed his um, medical, um, and they're, they're going to do it. It looks like in a away from the glare of prying eyes in the coming weeks. He was going to be going to Milan to have his medical this week, but um, I think they've seen what's happened with the Piotr Zielinski situation at, at Napoli, and Porto have got a lot going on on and off the pitch at the moment. I think they've politely asked Taremi if he could maybe do it some other time when it, it, it didn't bring such uh, potentially such ire on the, the, the people who run the club. But it's just another situation in which Porto 
have lost a really, really good player for, for nothing. And when we think of them, we think of them as being a team that's very good at buying players for not much, developing them and selling them on for a lot. And of course, there, there have been a couple in recent years. So you look at Otavio or that. It's a bit of a red herring, really, because a Saudi Pro League club, Al Nasser, paid his, his buyout clause and they got more than they ever could have realistically expected for him simply because Cristiano Ronaldo wanted to play with him. Um, and of course, you've had Luis Diaz as, 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 as well. But, you know, there are, there are far too many players in recent years who've got to the end of their Porto contract and, and just walked. I think um, Yassin Brahimi is, is, is another good example. And this is a situation that should never be happening. They're so reliant on the model of have this incredible international scouting network. They bring players in, develop them, and then sell them on. And how is this happening? That they're getting themselves in this position where they're allowing important players to run down the contracts like this? I'm really surprised. I mean, it was quite obvious in January, I think even going further back as the summer, that Taremi wanted to leave there. He wanted to join in there. Why, why didn't they sell him last summer? That's exactly, is, that, is, that's is exa- that's right, yeah, it's exactly where I'm getting to. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. You know that then. Uh, they know that their situation when it comes to sales and what have you is pretty precarious at the moment um, in general. Why not just sell them then? Um, the thing is, bizarre, they've been under bizarre. the FFP pump for a, for a while. And Sergio Conceição, for most of the time that he's been in charge, as trophies-wise, he's, he's, he's done an amazing job because um, he came in um, knowing he had to sell players, knowing he had to win trophies, and he's done both of those things although I I guess he is part of the problem really because on one hand he's created a Porto very much in his identity combative strong can make it difficult for good teams in in the Champions League despite the fact that they have a fairly diminished budget but on the other hand we've talked a lot about player development in this in in this episode now he's someone who molds a team to be a very specific sort of character there've always been dissenting voices in the porto fan base to say but where's the great football that we played under not just mourinho but Gisualdo ferreira um andre villas boas for example and i think part of it is he always seemed to prioritise physically strong players over technically excellent players, which some people have had an issue with. But I think it's become worse than that in the last couple of years. Now, he's had this back and forth with George Nuno Pinto de Costa, the, the long-serving president. And he's threatened to leave a couple of times. He's offered his resignation a couple of times, Consisau. And because Pinto de Costa's... Um, Future is is not certain, as we'll, we'll come to in a, in a minute. Constantine won't sign a new contract, which is up at the end of the season when he doesn't know the president is going to be, which I think I think is fair enough. But I think you look at the problems they have hit with some of those players that Pinto de Costa has come back to him and said, "Look, I've spent money for you in the transfer market, but you're not you're not using the players." And he's he's actually got a point. You think. David Cardamo. I was going to say time, he's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the most expensive, uh, 
not just defender in in bought by a Portuguese club, but the most expensive player bought by a Portuguese club for another Portuguese club at the time. Um, Conceição said, well, he's, 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 he's not putting enough for me. We're going to get rid of him. They, he was they relegated the B- to Olympiacos. Yeah. And relegated the B team a year and a half after he was signed for 20 million. Yeah. So there's one. And then there was Gabriel Varon as well. That's he, that's a huge one. Yeah. That, that's, that's a huge one. He's brought in for 10.5 million. He's then loaned out to Brazil, Cruzeiro. Um, and uh, like, like this is not money that Porto can afford to waste in their current situation. So with any coach, you know, whatever the rights and wrongs of those players and what they've done, you have to be able to get the best out of differing personalities. And if you're in a position where you're damaging assets of the club and diminishing their value, that's a, that's a huge problem. And it doesn't seem like the presidency really has been able to deal with that, does it? Yeah, I was going to say it's an interesting one because they might have been identifying the right players, just the coach who hasn't used them properly. It's not just always a case of, oh, the scouting department got it wrong. That but was, you, you know if you're at Porto that someone else deals with that and you yeah, just coach the players you get. Exactly. You know what's coming. Um, and I think it's been a failure largely on the on the, on the coaching, what's happened there. And just and I think that's why they probably need this fresh input. I mean, we've discussed the AVB a few times on this uh, on this podcast and that could be something that you know kind of reignites the club and, and their approach and their outlook on things. It does sound, from what we're saying, that AVB will become the next president of Porto. The thing is, though, Pinto de Costa has got this like forty-five-year history in charge of, of of Porto. It's extraordinary, really, and there are so many loyalists and noisy and quite intimidating loyalists behind him from from the ultras groups. Like Village Boas is really brave to even put himself forward for the presidency because he's not chosen an easy path. If you were him and you had you were young, you had loads of money. You didn't really need to work. There are so many reasons not to run for Porto presidency. But as far as he sees it, it's his city, it's his club, and he wants to he wants to go for it. Now, and and this is the right time if he yeah, was going to. Yeah, I think so. And, when, it, and when the and, club is on a slight free fall. Yeah, totally. And I think that's that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, for whatever reason, and Pinto de Costa has always tied himself really closely to Consisau. He said, as long as I'm the president. He will be the coach, which, I mean, you know, there's not a great deal of flexibility in that <laughs> statement, is is there? And, you know, it, it feels as if there's no responsibility really taken for the the financial failings. And that's before we get to the bit on the pitch. I mean, they went to lost and lost to Oroca this week in, 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 the, in the Portuguese Liga. They are not winning the Portuguese Liga this season. It will be one of, of, of Sporting, of probably the best team in the country, and, and, and Benfica. It's an interesting race. But I think when you look at the other clubs and how well that, you look at the way Benfica have sold in not just the last couple of years, but the last 15 years. So, you know, you can look at Enzo, Darwin, Gonzalo Ramos, you go a bit further back, you are Felix, and then that whole, whole spell of when they were selling everyone to Chelsea. They've had some wild deals when you think about, when you think of the, anomal- when you think about the anomalies of, the João Felix transfer, obviously Mendes pushing him to Gernard Lely. Then you got Chelsea's madness under Bali, meaning that Enzo's fee was just paid out of absolutely nowhere. Mm. And then there's also a big argument that you know Darwin was a was a massive overpay. We'll we'll still see about that. Um, 
So they well, it's expensive. At the least, yeah, it's expensive. It? Let's say yeah. that. Yeah. So they've got very lucky in terms of <laughs> those deals, I think. But yes, that, in general, generally speaking, they have maintained that level of of buying, developing, selling uh, so as of Sporting. Do you, Do you think Benfica are, are like the apple of European football in that they have these expensive items that they make you think that you absolutely must have when? Maybe you don't need them and you definitely don't need them at that price. Yeah. Oh, are you telling me there's a, there's a recruitment department with a lot of money somewhere? They're going, oh, wait, my Ben Figa bought him. He's playing really well. He must be good. <laughs> he'll, work, he'll work out. You leave Darwin alone. He's going to pay back. Oh, I love him. I'm, I'm, yeah, oh, I'm exactly. not going to say a bad word. I really also, also, it's not our money. <laughs> this is true. Okay. It's the time when I ask both of you to recommend a game of the week for us this weekend and obviously a food pairing with that game of the week as well. Do you fancy going first, Andy? Um, look, I think there's quite a lot to choose from this week. Uh, I like the look of uh, Lyon versus Nice on Friday night. However, we've talked about Bayern quite a lot today. I want to see how they respond in the late game in Germany on Sunday. So half past four UK time. They're going away to Bochum. One very easily there last year. The year before, Bochum absolutely hammered Bayern is not an easy place to go to and Borkham after a difficult start to the season have made themselves very hard to beat all over again they went and got a draw and tracked Frankfurt last week after after a difficult start in, 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 in that game of course the other notable thing about Borkham and Thomas Tuchel I'm sure will be absolutely dreading this is you know how annoying it is like when Bayern score at the Allianz Arena and they play the can-can and you're like and they're just letting it play that little bit too long. And if you're if if you're an away player who's just conceded a goal, you're like, oh come on, stop already. <laughs> the other club in the Bundesliga who play the can can. That's Bochum, <laughs> isn't it? So if if Bochum take a lead, they will play it and they will play it for a little bit too long as well. So uh, you, you, if if you're a Bayern player, you're thinking, yeah, this is too much. So this is absolutely too much. They're licking their chops at the moment. Well, I, talking of which, you know, you know, Bochum are, yeah, <laughs> Bochum are not expected to do anything in in this game. Mm. But you know, that that, that 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 means all the pressure and then some is on Bayern. You ask about the food. The food is a no brainer at Bochum. Yeah. Best halftime currywurst in the Bundesliga. So get that with a with a bit of bread to, to mop it up. I don't, don't even look at me. I, I'm not looking at David, but I can feel his eyes burning <laughs> yeah, a hole yeah, yeah, in the side are, of my face. They are, actually. At the moment, you haven't tasted currywurst <laughs> until you've tasted Borkham currywurst. Yeah. <laughs> you can argue with that if you want, but tell us, first of all, which is the game of the week that you would recommend? Uh, I'm going for an absolute basement scrap in La Liga. <laughs> uh, second off bottom, Granada against bottom, Almeria still oh. without a win this season as well. Ooh. Yeah, if they if Almeria were to magically conjure up a win at last, <laughs> um, they would go three points behind Granada. So this is quite an interesting one. This is, it is that, that's kind of the incentive um, for them to you know in this game. But uh, it's not going to be pretty. Don't get me wrong, but I just think it'll be interesting. That's, it's a scrap. Yeah, exactly. Sunday quarter past three. I do know. love a good see a bottom of the league scrap. You yeah, know. totally. Yeah. So we need something delicious to oh, yeah, complete yeah. the scrap. Uh, none of that. Um, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. If I speak. Yeah, um, yeah I'm going to go for quesadilla. What's quesadilla? A nice little Mexican um, sort of snack side. Uh, you can fill that with a bit of cheese or a bit of chicken, a bit of pork. You know, marinate nicely. Some peppers in there as well. 
it's just really easy, you know, enjoyable snack. Well, when, when you said quesadilla, I thought there are proprietors of Granada tapas bars that are crying at the moment. <laughs> but that, but having, having said that, the variety of tapas you get in Granada City, where it's, it's, it's all free. I was going to well, say you get free drink. when you buy a beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. this, this is your kind of place. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's this, they're, they're all themed in a different way. There's this um, bar, like quite near the, the the central square, and it's it's done up like a sort of it's quite a small bar that's done up like a medieval fort. Yeah, and uh, like they have uh, suits of armor and stuff in, <laughs> in in there, and you go in there and you buy a drink, and they present you with a free mini burger and chips. It's nice. excellent. Some places do. Only one is what I would ask. <laughs> and some places it depends do. how long you stay for drinks. <laughs> and my favourite as well, some some, pla- some places do crisps with a nice pot of uh, garlic aioli, like aioli sauce oh, just yeah. tipped on top. Brilliant. We call them crips, by the way. Oh, they- <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening to On the Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.